I am delighted to be joined this morning by Coach Gene Rankin, who is the strength and conditioning coach at Eastern Connecticut State University in the Department of Athletics with an interesting story to tell. Gene, good morning. Thank you for joining me today. For starters, what exactly is the role of a strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, strength and conditioning coach within athletics. I mean, um, we work with athletes in the weight room is kind of the main thing that people think about, but then um, do all kinds of speed, agility, and conditioning training with them. So, you know, a lot of the training is kind of in the off-season um, that if the coaches can't do as much with them because of time restrictions, that's when we really step in and we've got a pretty big role. So. In your days as a goalkeeper at the University of Colorado and then you went on to finish your career at Oklahoma State, did those teams have strength and conditioning coaches? Yeah, we uh, we did definitely have it. Um, and it was, uh, you know, that's where I really started to um, kind of see myself being a strength coach. But we definitely lifted in season and we worked pretty hard in the off season too. It really strength and conditioning really started up in the country at the University of Nebraska with their football team with a guy named Boyd Epley. So it did start a little before my time, but it's uh it's definitely added a ton, a ton of value to uh college athletics as you can see in like the national championship game last night. So what has changed, if anything, in the strength and conditioning field when it comes to what you experienced as a player back in the middle part of the last decade to what you do now with your student-athletes at Eastern Connecticut State University? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like anything in coaching where the the basics tend to stay the same. Um, You know, strength and conditioning hasn't been around for a super long time, um, but we have definitely progressed. The basics stay the same as far as wanting to get the athletes stronger and get them quicker um, and having all those goals. What I will say that's changed quite a bit since my time is uh, the use of GPS monitoring and technology and things like that. So, you know, soccer teams in England, for example, have GPS monitors that they wear on their back. Um, and it tracks all their movements throughout the game, and it's really pretty crazy <laughs> what all we can track with athletes now. Um, but you can also do stuff in the weight room. There's uh, things called Tindo units or Gym Awares where you can track bar velocity in the weight room, and just uh, you know, instead of just getting someone to lift weight, you can actually make sure that they're lifting it at the speed that you want them to. So um, the technology piece has been a huge piece of it, but as far as uh, coaching the X's and O's, I don't think that's going to change a whole, whole bunch. The real art to it is when you've got a coach who knows what they're doing. Another change in the last 10 or 20 years or so is female strength and conditioning coaches. How unusual is that in what has been a totally male-dominant industry? Yeah, I mean, I've actually done a few presentations on it recently, so <laughs> I can give you some statistics on it. It's um, only... 15% of the NCAA um, strength coaches are female, so 85% male, 15% female. So it's a very, very, mm-hmm. very small proportion of us um, that are female. Um, and then at the director level, um, so kind of the top level that you know most people aspire to get to, um, it's even smaller than that. So um, I was very, very lucky to have a female strength coach my sophomore year when I was playing at Colorado, and I had never really even the thought about being a strength coach and it was almost as if when I had her you know it gave me the permission to to kind of dream of being that so not very many of us for sure but we're a we're a pretty tight group 
Is this the new normal? Does every athletic program, Division One, Two, II, and Three, now have a strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, I mean, all D1 programs are going to have a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I don't know tons and tons, to be honest, about D2, but I would say the vast majority of them are going to have it. Um, and D3, most as well. It just kind of depends on funding and stuff like that once you get to D2 and D3. But um, obviously, most of my experience is in D1, um, and definitely every single program is going to have at least one strength coach, if not two and up to, you know, 10 to 15 sometimes. Gene, how did your role at Eastern change when the pandemic started and essentially shut many things down? How did it affect what you do with your student athletes, including the fact that they're not really playing right now? Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. It hit us all a little bit different. And I remember leaving the office and thinking like, oh, okay, I'll be back in a month. Like we'll get it sorted out. Um, and then we'll kind of move on from there. But um, I immediately <clears throat> decided to send out programs to all the teams. We knew that seasons were going to be canceled. So I sent out regular lifting programs to all the athletes um, that they could do in a gym. And then it quickly kind of was seen that everything was going to really get shut down. So I made um, at-home workouts that you could do by filling up a duffel bag. You could, you know, throw some water bottles in it, whatever, where you could find a way to weight movements. Um, and that's what kind of all of us across the country were doing. We were scrambling to figure out stuff um, and stealing ideas from each other and really collaborating to make sure that we all gave our athletes the best experience. Um, and over the summer, same thing. I gave them one option if they had a gym to go to or they had an at-home gym um, or doing, you know, at-home workouts. And then in the fall, that was the, that was the biggest change for me. It forced me to get really creative. We decided at Eastern that we wanted to – keep the weight room shut down for a little while. We still wanted to make sure everything went well on campus. And so I talked with my boss, Lori Runksmeyer, a lot about, you know, how to approach all that stuff. So we did all of our training outside for the first seven weeks with the athletes. Um, we took all the, all the twos, fives, tens, 25s, and 45s down to the uh, turf. And I did programs down there with them. And the cool thing was is it actually gave me the chance to also do speed, agility, and conditioning with them, which I hadn't really been able to do before since I'm uh, kind of spread a little thin just being a, the only person on staff. And then once we got back into the weight room, really limited capacity. You only touched the stuff you were using. You didn't share equipment. And then we disinfected everything after you left. So wanted to provide a really, really safe environment for everybody who came in, and not just the athletes, not just the, the general student population, but also for me um, and anybody else who would be down there. And social distancing becomes conditioning distancing. We hear this thing about staying six feet away. As I understand it, your people in the weight room now six yards apart? Yeah, that was more where I was keeping it when we were outside. We definitely kept it, um, you know, we had space, so why not space it out more? Um, and in the weight room, I was looking, um, once we got back in the weight room, it was more like 12 feet apart. Um, those were the the conditions that were offered up um, that we needed to adhere to, and we also still wore masks. So generally the, the rules were 12 feet apart if you were not going to have a mask, um, and I just didn't feel like that was going to be a safe enough environment for a lot of us, so keep the masks on, and it really wasn't a problem. Fall sports, of course, got pretty much shut down, and winter sports looked that way. But now men's basketball is practicing for a season opener on January the 23rd. 
with an active season coming up on the horizon, does that change anything? Do you condition your men's basketball players now differently than you do some of the sports, well, including women's basketball, which has said that the players took a vote and they voted to shut their season down. So you still do the same regimen with them as you do with a team that's going to be playing next week? Um, so it's a little bit different for those uh, for those groups, and obviously women's basketball very respectful of the decision that those players made. Um, you know, we're all just kind of trying to get through this the best we can, um, and I know that they made the decisions they needed to make. But men's basketball, uh, I wrote up programs for them that was, you know, you have to you have to really decide um, how hard you want to push it, and they've got such a short season that the last thing I want to do is add a ton of soreness onto what they're doing. Um, maybe when they got home, they really just didn't have much ability to do a whole bunch. Um, so the program I wrote up for them right now is a lot of stretching. Um, a lot of us, you know, myself included, have been sitting around a lot more than normal. Um, so there's stretching and mobility included. And then it's more um, every day after practice, they're doing a little bit of strength work on the court or can be done down in the weight room if we want to add a little bit of weight to it. But it's uh, kind of slowly reintroducing them back onto campus, back into being around people. And there's a lot of things they have to get comfortable with before we throw too much at them. The TeamBuilder.com website did a story recently, 14 Female Strength Coaches You Should Know. This was updated December 2020. Number one on the list is Andrea Hooty, who came from the University of Connecticut, and now she's the strength and conditioning coach with basketball at the University of Texas' top five program. And number two on the list... Coach Gene Rankin from Eastern Connecticut State University. Gene, tell me about what that meant to you and what this is all about, the 14 female strength coaches. What are some of the things that they felt that you did that put you so high on that national ranking? Yeah, I still kind of joke around that I'm not quite sure how I made it on that list. When you see uh, Andrea Hootie and Corliss Fingers and Leanne Blinn, those are some really big names in the field that, I mean, honestly, I look up to, you know, Andrea um, has called me before about uh, some job postings. I've called her about um, just asking her questions about how to deal with situations. Corliss Fingers has been a really good mentor to me, and I talk to her frequently about stuff. And <laughs> so I kind of look at that list and laugh a little bit myself. And I know that, you know, my volume of work speaks for itself, but it's a phenomenal group of women. Um, they came out with that list. I think it was August of 2019. It was um, right before I was coming up to Eastern, um, and they recently updated it to add the women on 11 through 14, which is uh, mostly women who have broken into men's professional sports, and I think it is a, a very much deserved update. Those women are awesome. It's it's not an easy thing to break into, um, and, and there just aren't women doing it, so it's really cool that they updated that. Gene, talk me through your rather circuitous route to romantic Willimantic USA. Um, yeah, so I my first job out of uh, out of college, out of my uh, master's, was at the University of Arkansas. I still kind of say I'm not quite sure why he hired me um, because I'd never written a program before, but I did have a, a pretty good um, athletics career uh, playing soccer before, so I know I got it off a of reference, um, and I know I you know, worked as hard as I could at that job. Um, that was actually just a part-time pay job, although very much full-time hours. That's kind of the way it works in athletics. 
Um, so I was offered a full-time job at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, um, by a guy who played football at the same time I was playing soccer there. Um, and then worked there for four years. Opportunity came up to work at a Power 5 school at the University of Kentucky. Um, I was one of 150 applicants um, who put in for that job and interviewed well. And like I said, my resume speaks for itself by this point. Um, and then my wife is a coach up at UConn. She took a job up there um, when Lenny uh, retired and uh, Mags Rodriguez moved up to the head coaching role and Mags hired her. Uh, Vanessa, my wife, is very well connected up there um, and is a great coach and got brought on on staff. And so I just, for a little while, was looking for a job up there and finally something popped open. Um, and here I am in a, in a Willimantic, which I had never heard of before, but I think there's a lot of places up in the Northeast that I haven't heard of before. So the biggest adjustment is the frozen tundra here, meaning wintertime? Yeah, I, uh, I'm an Oklahoma gal, and uh, I know that winter last year was not bad, um, but I've still found a way to, uh, to complain about it. <laughs> Well, winter so far has not been too bad here, even though we did have some early snow. When you were at Arkansas, you led staff education on non-Olympic power production. Can you put that in layman's terms? Yeah, it's funny because um, I don't. I, I kind of just think about uh, the population of people that I work with, and even for that population, it's kind of like, wait, okay, what are you, what are you talking about? So it's just um, the Olympic lifts are the. That's the main lift that I start off with every single day. So if you watch the Olympics, there's snatch, where they start the barbell on the floor and then have to lift it overhead. And then there's clean and jerk, where they get it up to shoulder level and then they get it overhead. Um, so the Olympic lifts are those different variations of snatch, clean, and jerk. Um, and they're a very good way of expressing power. Um, so you can even see, you know, big guys who lift at the Olympics that have these crazy vertical jumps because that's exactly what their sport is, is expressing power. There's a way to express power that doesn't involve that. Um, so we can do med ball throws, whether it's med ball throws overhead, med ball throws back behind us, in front of us. Um, sprinting in itself is non-Olympic power. So it's just any way of expressing power and putting more force and speed through the ground but just not with a barbell and not doing the traditional lifts. And for some of us who are bothered by lower back pain, present company included, you also led staff education on low back pain in athletes. So what do you do for that? Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. I've had back pain since I was in, um, in high school, and that's what really prompted me to want to wanna do a presentation on that. Um, but as far as low back pain, the fortunate and unfortunate thing is that I know what athletes for the most part are feeling like when they're experiencing that. Um, the biggest thing is to, you know, if you need to pull them out of the weight room and give them a little rest, that's what our sports medicine team, our athletic trainers and the team physicians, that's what they're for is to tell me, Hey, you know, this kid just needs some time off to let things cool down. But other than that, they're telling me what the restrictions are. So they're telling me what I can't do. Maybe it's that they have some, some low back pain that's really low on their back and doing a hinge movement like an RDL or a deadlift, maybe that really bothers them, but they're completely okay doing other movements like glute bridges, bird dogs, um, you know, or anything else that kind of stresses the low back, but not so much as to irritate them. So 
that's one of the things um, throughout the injuries I've had in my career. I've gotten really good at just modifying lifts. And generally the last thing you want to do with an injured athlete is just pull them out of the weight room completely because as soon as you get them back in, all that stuff pops back up. Well, Gene, good to catch up with you and keep up the good work with the athletes at Eastern Connecticut State University. That's the student athletes. Gene Rankin, our guest, the strength and conditioning coach at Eastern Connecticut State University since the summer of 2019. Again, highly ranked number two on the Team Builder website listing of the 14 female strength coaches you should know. Gene Rankin, our guest on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.